All right, so we're in John 21. We're coming to the end. I said, uh, asked last week if you guys would be open to having a conversation about things that you've been learning from John um, when we're at the end of this. So we're going to shoot for that probably in two weeks. So we'll have this, this week and then next week. And then we will be, <clears throat> oh no, I'm going to cough. I caught it <clears throat> before I actually did it. So we're going to have these next two weeks to finish up with John, and then we'll have a time of conversation. What is God teaching us? So we're in John uh, 21. We're starting off in verse 15. And before we actually get to the text, let me ask this. When uh, your world is turned upside down, how do you live? <laughs> when it's turned upside down, how do you live? So these guys, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, right? They've uh, had Jesus appear to them twice already. This is the third time that he's shown up to them when they're out fishing. This is what we looked at last week. Jesus calls to them. They realize it's Jesus. They show up on the shore. Jesus is setting a meal for them. So their lives had been turned upside down. They thought Jesus was the one, whatever they thought the one was. And then he was killed. He was, the, the dream had been destroyed. And now he shows up again. And they're sitting on a beach eating breakfast with him. Everything that they thought had been wrong, everything that, they had, everything that had been done that has been destructive, his death, the, the destruction of a dream, it's now alive sitting in front of them again. But life is turned upside down. How then do you live? We're going to read this text. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would like to, and we'll read it together. John 21, this is God's word to us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Lord, as we listen to these words, again, as we're, this is an incredible story that we have been reading for quite a while, this count, this good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, what he's accomplished, and then what he's inviting us into, we need to hear this fresh, or maybe for the first time, some of us may uh, believe these things that we've been reading and singing and, and talking about. Others may be questioning and others may not believe any of this. And we need for you, wherever we are in life, to show yourself, reveal yourself 
Holy Spirit, do a work even as we meditate on, talk about, contemplate, and allow this word to sink into us. Change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when times are changing, or you are trying to learn what the new normal is, which I think all of us are, have been doing that over the last year, and maybe we're going to have even a, a newer normal as we enter into this summer, or maybe you feel like you're stuck or you're not sure exactly how you're going to move, move forward, what do you do? So when you're in that spot, what is it that you do? Well, Jesus reminds us of this basic reality. So this is just a reality for everyone. This is the basic reality, and it's this. Gonna show up on the string. We follow what we love. What are you gonna do? What do you do? You will follow what you love. Uh, this is a deeply philosophical conversation um, that is good for us to have. It's good to contemplate. And there's, there's many people that have talked about this. Uh, contemporary philosopher James K.A. Smith, I think we used to have his book sitting out there. I don't know if we have it now. You are what you love. This is how he phrased this big idea. You are what you love. And then, of course, people throughout, throughout modern times and probably beyond modern times have talked about this. Emily Dickinson and Woody Allen and Selena Gomez most recently, the heart wants what the heart wants. This is just the reality. How does Jesus speak into this? Well, he bookends this interaction with Peter saying, do you love me? Begins this way. And then he ends with, follow me. Why? Because at some level, you follow what you most love. You follow what you most love. So if we do not find Jesus lovely, you don't find him, what we just sang, worthy. If you don't actually find him lovable and desirable, it may be absolutely impossible to actually follow him, as the Christian story says. You can only, you can only follow Jesus in the way that the, the, the biblical story tells us to follow him is if you have been captivated by him, if you find him beautiful. This is why it's so important not just to know what he says, but to know what he's done and to know who he is. He's not just a rule giver. He's something so much more beautiful than that. Sometimes I think we Christians can get so focused on wanting to convince people to follow Jesus that we forget people need to first love him. Um, my son was taking a class, an online class, by a guy named Tim Mackey last year, and he gave me this quote that I love, and, it, and, and Mackey said this, Jesus doesn't need people who will compel people to him. He just needs people to tell his story. He doesn't need people to compel people to him. He just needs people to tell his story, Right? Being motivated to follow him primarily out of fear or guilt or pressure or some emotional high will not last. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you've tried to impose that on people. It just doesn't last. So within this John 21 conversation of us following what we love, Jesus invites us to do a few things. And it's this, question what we love. And I'm just throwing it up there, okay? And we'll walk through it. Question what we love, respond to what we love, and then give in to what we love. So first, this idea of questioning. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Some have made kind of a big deal about, he uses different Greek words here. 
He uses this word, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you agape love me? And Peter's like, I phileo love you. I phileo, I think it's phileo. Yeah, phileo love you. So he does, and some, some want to like kind of dig into that and say there's some, some real significance to that. I honestly don't know. This is what I know. What is clearly important, important is that Jesus is challenging Peter to question what he loved. That part I do know. Do you love me? He says. This is, this is an uncomfortable question. Like, if, you're, if your friend or your spouse asks you, do you love me? That's just, that just makes you uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable question, but it's an important question. What do you love? If, you are, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I, I hope there's some people here that maybe, I mean, I want everybody to follow Jesus, but I hope people will feel comfortable to be in our space and not follow, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't actually know who he is, your answer to that question is, of course, no, I don't love him. I mean, it should be, no, I don't love him. Not because you don't maybe like him, because you don't know him. It's hard to love someone you don't know. And I offer this, especially if you're thinking more deeply about life right now. And you may want to ask, like, what's the big deal about the Jesus thing? Investigate him, study him, see why lots of people throughout the centuries have found Jesus to actually be worthy of, worthy of love. And if you know someone who is not hyper-religious, okay, and this is kind of, so if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're kind of curious about this, if you know someone who's not hyper-religious, but you think they actually may love Jesus, ask them. It's okay to ask. Tell them, look, don't, don't try to convert me. <laughs> and it's okay to tell someone, I don't want you to try to convert me. Don't try to convert me. Just introduce me. Why do you love him? What is the big deal? And then we, if you are a follower of Jesus, be ready to answer this question. And don't get freaked out by it. Like, let's just tell the story. What is it about Jesus that's lovely and lovable? Whether we claim to be followers of Jesus or not, it's an important exercise to consider what really captures your attention, what, what captivates you, what steals your affection, your imagination. What are you really devoted to besides, you know, binge-watching? I don't what is the thing now that people are binge-watching? What is the thing? What are people binge-watching right now? Anything? Anyone? 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 <laughs> Nothing? Are you not binge-watching anything? Wow, what are we binge-watching right now? The British Cook Show. Is that a thing? Okay, all right. We're watching like Parenthood or what's the one we're watching right now? Modern Family. We're watching Modern Family again, right? Or whatever your podcast is, your favorite podcast is, right? The Theology Of. Do y'all know that Benjamin has a podcast? Do you? You should absolutely listen to it. He's had some awesome stuff. I haven't listened to many, so I shouldn't say that. But I have listened to the last two. I listened to the last two that you did. They're awesome. Okay, there's lots of things that we can be drawn to, have our attention, like captivating our attention. These are, these are not bad things, but what most captures our affection. Jesus' point here is not to try to convince Peter to love him. It's to question him. You've, you've been with me, Peter. You've seen me. Do you love me? Am I, better, uh, am I a better object of love than the other things you've tried? Am I worthy of following? He's legitimately asking, am I worthy? If I'm not worthy, don't follow me. 
I think Jesus actually invites us. If you don't find me worthy, then don't follow me. If you do, okay, we need to have a further conversation. So with us, what do you love? Do you love him? Do you know him well enough to even answer the question? And if you don't, let's talk. Let's talk about how we get to know him. And if you do, what tends to creep in and supplant that love? Okay, so even if you do say, yeah, I do love you, I do love him, what is it that starts to creep in and overtake the affection? What other things capture our affection? We need to evaluate those things. And then the second thing, how then does Peter answer the question? So three times, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus follows up and invites Peter to respond to what you love. Respond. If you love me, let respond as if you love me. Feed my sheep or feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. There's slight variance with each of these, but what's common in all of them is my sheep. All three of them have the my sheep, which means what? Love who I love and love how I love. Um, years ago, a friend was, uh, hey, this is a much longer story than I'm going to tell. So this was in the midst of us doing another church plant several years ago, and we had one of my friends decided he was going to leave the church. But he was still a, a good friend. So we were sitting down and we were meeting, and he was saying, look, Joey, I love you. Let me know. <laughs> Let me know what I can do to help you. And it struck this passage. I don't know if I was reading this passage at the time or God just kind of brought to my remembrance this text. This passage came alive to me because I realized, you want to love me? Love what I love. Care for the people that I'm trying to care for. Like, take away the whole pasture thing, right? You want to love me well? Love the one that I love. Love my wife. Care for my wife. You want to love me well? Love my kids. You're going to love me well, I have three sisters. Love my sisters well. You want to love me well, my, my parents are dead, but in the process of them dying, you want to love me well, love my parents well as they are in that process of dying. That's how, that's how you love me well. Jesus, I think, is tapping into something that is so like visceral. You want to love someone. Sure, like if you want to give me a million dollars, I'm not going to decline that, right? You can love me by doing stuff for me, but really, man, you want to love me, love, love who I love. And if we're tempted to ask, um, okay, who, who are his sheep? Like, who, who are we, who do we really have to love? Like, who's my neighbor? Who's like, who am I really responsible for loving? Okay, if we're tempted to ask that, I think we need to remember that, that, uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. This is in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer approaches Jesus, maybe you're familiar with it, to test him, and he asks him questions. And in the conversation, he gives a summary of the law. And he says, uh, uh, he answered him, love the Lord your God with all your heart. How, how, do you, how do you know what to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, it goes on, but he, but he wanted to justify himself. This lawyer was asking Jesus this because he wanted to justify himself. So he says, who is my neighbor? Like, who do I really have to, you know, love? And Jesus goes on into the story of this good Samaritan showing that your neighbor is the one you actually may consider your enemy, not just the one who's next door to you that you do cookouts with. It may be somebody that is, you consider your enemy. 
So if we're asking who do we have to love, it may be revealing a misunderstanding of Jesus and his love. Okay, who do we have? When, when Jesus says, feed my sheep, like we typically think, oh, it's the people that, you know, associate with Jesus, which it is that, but let's don't, let's don't make it too, too narrow because Jesus broadened who our neighbor is in other places and the way that he interacted. And I say this just so that we can be careful not to too narrowly define who it is that we are supposed to be caring for, who we are supposed to love. We respond by loving who he loves, but also then loving Jesus changes how we do things and how we love. And I think, I can't remember if I told this little illustration. I feel like I did. You'll find out. So my, when uh, Fran and I started dating, my sister, did I, okay, it doesn't matter. My sister told me, um, like, I, apparently I wasn't a super affectionate brother. <laughs> and so I started dating Fran, and Fran said, Joey, you have become so much more affectionate towards us as a result of your relationship with Fran. Did I tell this one? Okay. I don't know. For me, it was like, a, it kind of a, it was, a, it was, a, it was a bell. It was a light. It's like, my, my being loved by Fran, my being l- loving towards another person actually cultivated how I began to love other people. When you are loved, it changes how you move into loving other people. How does loving Jesus then change us? Well, it leads us to, I think, tangibly, but then also compassionately love. His love grows in us this desire, this, this tangible, practical desire to move towards other people, to feed the sheep, to, to bring life and to, to care for with truth and to bring Jesus' welcome to other people. It moves us towards other people in order to work for their good and for their wholeness. I mean, that's what tending and feeding is. It's working for the good of someone else. So, so how do you love? You, you do it tangibly and not just as a checklist, but to care as he cares. And how does he care? He's full of compassion. What did Peter watch for three years? He's walking with Jesus, and the other disciples are walking with Jesus for three years, three-ish years. What are, they, what are they watching? Well, they're watching him care for the outcast. They're watching him heal the sick, befriend the, befriend the friendless. They're watching him serve. And is he, get, are, is he getting anything out of these people? No, it's a, it's a selfless act. It's sacrificial. It's joyful, but it's out of a genuine compassion. This is how he loves. Jesus is saying, if you love me, then respond. Let it form who you love, but also let it form how you move into the world and how you love. And what does that look like for us? Who is it that we are to love like this? I'm throwing it back on us. Who are we to love? People within this room, people that are connected to this Jesus community? Yes, absolutely, it's those. Certainly it's those, but also beyond. How are we as a body going to be so shaped by this love for Jesus that it's moving us in how we love for the city, how we love the city and those that are within the city or those that are in our spheres of influence? What does this look like? Who, who is around you that he may be inviting you to love? Who around you might he want to love through you? There's another way to look at it. Think about the people that are in our lives. Who might he want to love 
through your mouth and your presence and your hands and your feet? Where do you feel his heart beating toward another or towards another group of people? Where is that? Individually, but then also where is that for a church? We got to keep asking that question. And then following him, being changed into his kind of people is all dependent on this last thing. Jesus invites us um, not just to question and to respond, but also to, to give in to what we love, or better yet, to give in to the one who loves us. Um, if we try to do all of this and try to find our identity, this sense of security and how well we love and respond, it's going to crumble under us. If you're trying to find your identity and how well you actually love and, and, and who you love, if you're trying to find it, you're going to crumble underneath that like every other self-made security because that's about making a security out of what you do. Oh, I love this person really well and I loved how, how I love this person was done really well. Oh, I feel, I feel better about myself. Following Jesus because you love him is based on a whole new paradigm of life that involves and it requires Jesus actually challenging our default identity and then giving us a greater identity. Uh, One of the things that Jesus is doing to Peter is tearing down his false identity that is actually it's holding him back. He does this by hitting two of Peter's kind of go-to's. Two of the things that as we've watched Peter throughout his journey with Jesus, we see these things surface and, they, and Jesus, I think, is pointing these out right here. Um, and maybe we can identify with some of these, these two things. Maybe you can't, but maybe you can. And what are these things? Well, I would say superiority and control. Peter has this thing with superiority and control. As Jesus questions Peter's love, he says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is an an interesting one. I was studying this thing last year, and this kind of came to light to me because many commentators and theologians have different views of who, what is the um, more than these? What is he referring to? Well, is it the boats and the fishing stuff? Like, hey, Peter, do you love me more than this stuff? You know, you wanted to just go fishing, right? You want to get back to your life. Do you love me more than you love fishing and the boats and the sea? Okay, I mean, it could be. Um, a second option is, do you love me more than these, the disciples that are in front of him, okay? Which could be fair, except for I don't see a whole lot of indication in Peter's life that he overly loved the disciples. Like, do you love the disciples more than you love me? I, I don't, I mean, I, Jesus could be meaning that, but I don't think Peter cared that much about the disciples. So here's the third option. Um, it is intriguing. Peter do you really think you love me more than these other guys? More than anyone else loves me? Peter, do you really love me more than everybody else? And I think this ties into other things that we see with Jesus. Because before he was arrested, this is uh, seen in Mark 14. I'll just read this account. Jesus Jesus said to them, look, you're all going to fall away. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd. The sheep are going to be scattered. Peter said to him, do you remember this? What does Peter say? Even though, look, even though they all fall away, I won't. I won't fall. Jesus said to him, really? I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, 
I will not deny you, the great rock that I am, right? Maybe Jesus is challenging. Maybe Jesus is crushing Peter's identity that is based on his own strength and superior love. You with me? Possibility? He's challenging that sense of I am better. I won't fall. Verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another's going to dress you. They're going to carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Here, Jesus says, you will lose control of your life. Okay, your superiority complex, man, I just crushed that. But then also here, Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to lose control. Um, it's going to be taken from you. Your identity of security and having control, being the rock, the leader, the strong man, it's not reality, Peter. It's sandy ground for building your life, and it has no place in my kingdom, Jesus says. The, these are issues we face as a culture and as the American church, superiority and control. Don't we? I do. I know that I do. Jesus invites Peter and us to give up these empty securities and identities. In order, but, and he's doing this not because he's just trying to belittle us. He's trying to set us free. He wants to free us, free us from fear and free us from anger, from fighting for our rightness, from the condemning judgment that we can so quickly cast on those that don't believe as we do. He wants to set us free from that. That's so, so enslaving. And instead, he invites us to give into something better, to be embraced, to be embraced, not just to embrace, to be embraced by something better. What does that mean? Instead of trying to build ourselves up and convince ourselves in the world how well we love, look at how well we love, look at the things that we do, or beat ourselves up for how poorly we love, he wants us to see him and see his love for us. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Why? I mean, what's the big deal with three times? Well, it parallels, do you remember Peter doing something three times? It parallels something that Peter had experienced, his Peter's shining moment his three-time denial before the cock crowed, right? You, you know this had to have been hanging over Peter's head. Like, Jesus is dead, and I betrayed him three times. I'm screwed, right? And now Peter's, Jesus is coming back, and three times, three times Jesus gave him the opportunity to reaffirm what he had denied. Three times Jesus invites him back like the prodigal son, not just reluctantly receiving him as a hired servant, but back into the family to carry the mission of the family, to carry the mission of the king, feed my, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's, in, he's inviting back in, not just a hired servant, as a, a co-laborer. Jesus vindicates Peter, reestablishing him to serve alongside himself. What is this? Peter, my love and forgiveness, my embrace of you is greater. It's a greater security. Greater than your love for me is my love for you. He wants to say that to us. Greater is his love 
for you than your love for him. In a sense, Jesus is saying, my, my love for you um, was carried through death and out the other side so that I can forgive you, so that I can restore you, so that I can make you right. This is the identity he gives to us when we give in to him and his love, when we give in to his love for us. It's not bolstering your love for him. It's let his love flow over you. In the, in the weakness of my love, in the weakness of my faith, Jesus' love and faithfulness shines like the sun, right? Our, our love are like, it's like stars in the night, right? They're little glimmers of light in the darkness, right? They're good things. But when his love rises, it takes over the night. Why focus on the light of the stars when you can live in light of the sun? He is the supreme object of love that we are looking for but can't find anywhere else. And when he and his story overtake us, our love for him will then also increase. It will grow, compelling us, therefore, to then live in and out his love. To go and feed the sheep because we're being fed by the shepherd. Father, we need that. We need to be fed. We're grateful that you have given us the one who is most brilliant, and we, we acknowledge that we don't, I mean, even as, we're, even as I'm preaching this sermon, Lord, my love is, shallow, uh, I don't feel it like I would want to. Thank you, thank you that our identity and our hope and our security is not based on how well we love you or feel that we love you, based on your actual enduring love. So Jesus, break through our coldness, break through our lack of trust and overwhelm us with a sense of your faithfulness and your love. I need that. I think we all need that right now so that we can be formed and shaped into people who actually do love you more and more and then respond out of that love. We ask this in your name. Amen.